Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. Hi, I'm Johanna Ferreira, content director of Pop Sugar Juntos. Juntos is all about celebrating Latin A culture, pride, our many intersectional identities, and joy. Thanks to support from Prime, there's so much to get into over at Juntos this month. From conversations with the Latin A minds behind our favorite new movies and resurrected TV shows, to thoughtful celebrity commentary and exclusive interviews with some of the biggest Latin music artists today. And it doesn't stop there. Get more of the music, movies, and shopping you love on Prime. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more of whatever you're into from streaming to shopping. And get all of our latest coverage at PopSugar.com slash Juntos. Con amor, Johanna. So it's about that time of year when all Americans go out, buy a brand new flat screen television so they can watch the big game on the big screen. The Super Bowl is coming up. And of course, we know what the Super Bowl is really all about, right, Nate? It's all about nachos. Potato skins. Hot wings. Copious beer, friends. Copious beer and friends. Um, am, I miss, am I missing anything? Well, I think I think we also watched the Super Bowl to watch the ads. Bud, why, sir? <laughs> And of course, there's the football, but such an underappreciated part of the Super Bowl is the music. And we're not talking about the halftime show. Of course, that's well televised, but we're talking about the theme songs of our biggest national sporting event. Our favorite part of the Super Bowl is the national anthem because the way that it's sung every year says a lot about the moment that we live in right now. And on today's episode, we're going to show you how the national anthem has been co-opted by today's biggest pop stars. Ladies and gentlemen, your attention please. Please rise and join in the singing of our national anthem. I'm Nate Sloan. And I'm Charlie Harding. And this is Switched on Pop, the show that explores the art and science of pop music. So we're going to hear it again, but we've all heard it, you know, a thousand times. Every sporting event that you go to, you hear the national anthem. But I doubt that many Americans have heard the original rendition. No. And the original is, in fact, a drinking song. Which actually makes sense for sporting events, right? <laughs> yeah. No, totally. Um, the the original uh, melody that Francis Scott Key rewrote the lyric to, to fit. Right. He wrote this, what we now know as the Star Spangled Banner to fit this melody called Anacreon in Heaven. I didn't know that it was actually a drinking song from the Anacreontic Society. There you go. An 18th century gentleman's club of amateur musicians in London. And they this, this is their song, Anacreon in Heaven. Anacreon in Heaven, where he sat so 
So as you can see, this is a song that a group of men would get together and sing as they drank. Wouldn't it be great if you would walk into the, walk into the bars today and people were singing drinking songs just like that? Charlie, that's all I want. <laughs> Your life's mission. I, all I want is to just have a pint and sing some sing some dirty songs with my bros, you know? <laughs> a little some a little harmony going. So then how in the world did this song go from being just a dumb drinking song to popular enough that it made it into the national anthem it's a great question so it's hard to trace precisely but this was a a, a melody that was in the air in in a big way so basically this song was it was in the national ear in many ways the drinking songs before recorded music were pop songs totally and this one uh seems to especially have latched onto people's imagination uh to the point that francis scott key writing this uh, poem uh, in the wake of his experience in the War of 1812, right, was like I'm gonna set this to Anacreon in heaven, like that's, and then people, yeah, because people know it, like they don't have to learn a new song, and then perhaps unintentionally, his rendition of the song takes off and becomes one of our most patriotic anthems. Yeah, this trend is not unique to the United States. Many national anthems are co-opted songs, right? Yeah, totally. You have Finland. One of their biggest national songs, Finlandia, written by the composer Sibelius. Or the Israeli national anthem, Hatikva, if you go back, actually stretches to Italian songs of the 16th century. That's what they were drawing on. So, yeah, so anthems have can have weird and complex histories that belie their... Uh, their their function as sort of musical glue to hold a nation together. We we hear the national anthem, and of course it was it was written after the War of eighteen twelve. When we hear this, it, it feels like it's older than time itself. But really, it th- these anthems came about in the time of nationalism. And what really surprised me was that our official national anthem is only thirty six years older than the Super Bowl itself, which came about in 1967. Wait, talk me through that. So the Star-Spangled Banner was a popular song, much like other patriotic songs of the time, America the Beautiful, My Country, Tis of Thee, and so on. And then there came a time around the turn of the 20th century when other countries are adopting national anthems, and it makes sense that the United States needs one. Right. Get this. It's not until 1931 when President Hoover signs a congressional resolution saying that the Star Spangled Banner is our official anthem. So all these songs were jockeying for the top slot, but the Star Spangled Banner won out in the end. Yeah, and of course, isn't it ridiculous that the Star Spangled Banner was originally a British drinking song and the other contestant was My Country Tis of Thee, which is actually just words superimposed upon the melody to God Save the Queen, the British national anthem. And curious about (laughs) how the, the national anthem sounds to one of its originators, Nate and I consulted Facebook and found a friend with a great personal story and insight into the translation of our Star Spangled Banner. So today we're joined by Ben Wallace, head of marketing at Depict, a digital art company. Hi guys, how's it going? 
Great. Thanks for joining us. Nice to be here. Ben, where did you sing the national anthem? So I was in Chicago, middle of summer, and uh, me and my friend were visiting at a Cubs game. We buy the tickets. Um, everyone tells us to sit in the bleachers because that's where the hardcore fans are. And so we sit out. The game starts. All eyes for the national anthem. And so I'm not American, obviously. Yeah. Um, and my concept of national anthems is like quite dull, plodding marches, like the British one. Well, how does the wait, how does the British one go? God save us. Gracious queen. The, the, and it goes on. It's, 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 I'm not going to do any more than that. That was beautiful. But it, thank you. It's it's plodding and it's and slow and it's not that much fun. Yeah, so we're there and we're sitting, we're having a good time. I like We're both drinking beers and sitting up in the bleachers. And we stand, but we're not going to sing. Um, and suddenly we realize that the guy next to us is a Cub super fan. He's not wearing anything on his top. He's got like a big C painted on him. He's like big, bold guy with two huge gloves. Um, and he just turns to us and I, obviously he doesn't know that we're British. He's like, sing. <laughs> <laughs> like, we kind of look up at him. And this guy, we didn't know at the time, but within the Cubs games, he's like a well-known super fan who goes to all the games. Okay. So not only is like everyone looking at and cheering this guy on who's right next to us and is standing there, but he's also on the Jumbotron whilst this is happening. Oh my gosh. So we're like, yeah, so we're, it's, it's kind of like this huge guy with these two huge gloves on, us to the left of him. It's like one of the most British moments for us because suddenly we're caught in a situation where we, we don't want to offend the guy. Also, probably the whole stadium is looking at us at this point. <laughs> and like, I look at the big Jumbotron thing. Thing and I look at him and then so we just make the call and we stand up and we start singing but obviously we don't really know the lyrics oh my god so <laughs> the next like 20 seconds are uh, this awkward like stand up as this guy I really aggressively put his, puts his arm around us they're kind of like pretending to be friends but also I'm going to kill you, if you <laughs> um, as we like mumble through and kind of just follow his lead to sing the anthem wow well done I was pretty nervous yeah, I was I was pretty sure that at the end we were going to get beaten up by a bunch of people around us. But, you know, in fact, I think we did a good job and they were very supportive. We told them afterwards that we were actually not from around here and um, we, we got a lot of love. Well, Ben, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk with us. Absolutely. Yeah. Have fun, guys. Another thing that's fascinating about the Star Spangled Banner, in addition to the fact that it was originally a British drinking song, <laughs> is that this song of all the contenders that we mentioned before, My Country, Tis of Thee, God Bless America, America the Beautiful, right. this, this song is lyrically the most insane one. <laughs> Tell me more. Well, I mean, it's just like the language of it is so intense and archaic. Right. Um, and the diction is like so uh convoluted and byzantine <laughs> give me some words well like spangled for one right. it's, a pretty, it's a pretty funny <laughs> yeah. word that does not often come up in conversation otherwise not colloquially um or, or so gallantly streaming <laughs> <laughs> that, Nate, did i did i tell you how, how, how gallantly you are looking <laughs> tonight Thanks, man. That means that means that means a lot to me. Um, your your ramparts are. I've been watching them. Whoa, and whoa, yeah, uh, and they <laughs> yeah. are they are pretty spangled. If you know what I mean. Do I have to tell my wife about this? No, it's between you and me. So, <laughs> and and just this language, like whose broad stripes and bright stars to the perilous fight or the ramparts we watched were so gallantly streaming. Like, whoa, what a mouthful compared to right. God bless America, land that I love. You know, <laughs> like. 
Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. Calling all female runners. It's time to lace up and join Team Milk. Since the 2022 New York City Marathon, Team Milk has sponsored female marathon runners nationwide, providing support and shining a spotlight on their unique stories, perseverance, and drive to go the distance. Why milk? Dairy milk is an excellent nutritional ad for both marathon training and recovery. Milk contains 13 essential nutrients, including high-quality protein, making it a crucial component of a training diet. Plus, it's one of the best beverages for hydration, even better than water. The same electrolytes that are added to many of your favorite sports drinks are found naturally in milk. And in 2024, Team Milk is taking the next step to empower female runners by launching the only women's marathon in the U.S. designed for and by women. Built to be accessible, empowering, and community building, the inaugural Every Woman's Marathon will take place in Savannah, Georgia on November 16, 2024. You can learn more and register for the marathon at everywomansmarathon.com. Not only are these words unfamiliar today, many of them are almost impossible to sing, right? This song has a huge range. You have to be an amazing singer to be able to sing the national anthem. And I wonder if that's why we require putting someone out in front of the entire stadium at the Super Bowl to sing it because your lay singer can't actually get through. How big of how, what is the, what is the gap of this song? Good question. So we start uh, the the lowest note of the song is the third note in the song. Yep. So that's the lowest note. And then immediately after that, we ascend to an octave above that. Right. Say, can you see? So that's already a big jump. So we've gone from one octave. Right away. Right. But that's not the end because by the time uh, we get to um, and the rocket's red glare. So we've gone from here to here. And then we go. And the rocket's red glare. So we go. It's an octave (laughs) and a fifth. Right. So all together from this note, and then I'll walk up the scale. Yeah, you have to be a really good singer to do this, to give to do this song any justice. Otherwise, you get I mean, I've seen some hysterical attempts. I mean, not that I ever played sports myself, but my brother did, and I would go to his basketball games. So we've established that this song is not easy to sing, that it requires a professional. You got to throw someone out on a stage to be able to lead us in this very challenging song. And yet at some point, the song started to evolve. Probably as a result of the fact that the only people who could sing it were professional singers. They made it even harder for us. Yeah. The national anthem, as Francis Scott Key knew it, has been totally transformed by the pop musicians who have been interpreting it for the last 50 years. 
not without controversy. Ah. As is evidenced by the first time that someone really someone really took liberties with the national anthem. Huh. And I think that was in 1968 when Jose Feliciano played it on acoustic guitar uh, before a baseball game. And it's you play this now, and it sounds like the most beautiful rendition. It's hard. It's heartbreaking. But at the moment, people freaked out. There was a national controversy. And you think about the moment in which this is happening, um, 1968. This is the intrusion of counterculture, right, into mainstream culture and folk music at this time. Even though today sounds innocuous, was very political. Yeah, it's, he's like. Woody Guthrifying uh, the national anthem right under people's noses. So we had the 1960s counterculture version of the national anthem, and it continued to evolve as pop musicians took it into their own genres. Totally. Right. So yeah. give, give me some history, Nate. What else we got? So then the next seminal moment in national anthem reinterpretation is Marvin Gaye's take of it at the 1983 NBA All-Star Game. Hey, in full in sunglasses indoors which only a few people including Marvin Gaye could pull off really sexy slick backing track with like you know one of the first drum machines ever probably and he's just like crooning the national anthem as though it were let's get it on Whoa, I mean, this is like, this is this is a serious moment in, in American musical history. He's hitting on the nation. He's literally seducing America. But then, probably the most influential performance of this song in recent memory is Whitney Houston at the 1991 uh, Super Bowl, which is probably worth listening to in, in its entirety. And just to set the scene, I highly recommend you watch this yourself at home. This is a big event. Yeah, let's take a listen to it. So the first thing we hear are drums. Right. Very militaristic. And instantly something is different here from Anacreon in heaven. We're not in the right time signature. No, because the original is in waltz time or three, four, and this is in four. Right. You're getting these chords that you don't usually hear. You once said this sounds like Gershwin, and I totally agree. Sounds like uh, John Williams. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great soundtrack. Yeah. 
couple of things we heard going on that were some yeah. real innovations the 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 thorough popification of the national anthem one one the big one that we addressed right at the onset is this song is now in four four rather than three four right which is a much more common time signature yeah in pretty much all of popular music totally and as if as a singer gives you more time to throw in ad libs and and play with the the melody yeah. right exactly because in, instead of having one two three notes on the third note she can just pull right. that note out out yeah. and do all these crazy oh my god was that Whitney wait Whitney the ghost of Whitney is in my apartment was that that was crazy that was oh my god <laughs> wow so we changed the meter we're changing some of the harmony what does this mean about that moment in history why is this happening as we said there's the the Gulf War has just started right. so people are feeling particularly patriotic at this moment and that four four time you is very militaristic as well such as popular music it's also military that drums that you mentioned at the start right this the this the cracking snare drums and this four four pulse that captures the 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 national feeling now in the wake of Whitney has become some somewhat of a of a tradition and we've seen this tradition carried on. Recently, in a great homage to Whitney Houston, yes. Beyonce singing the national anthem at the 2012 inauguration. Yeah. Now, this performance, of course, was riddled with controversy. Supposedly, she had to lip sync because it's really cold. Why did they do the inauguration outdoors in January <laughs> in Washington, D.C.? Not the best weather. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, and didn't, didn't Yo-Yo Ma also, like, air... <laughs> Airbo the cello surely i bet his <laughs> cello exploded in the cold weather i mean yeah. you're not supposed to take instruments or vocal cords out into the cold even though it was pre-taped it was a stunning performance oh yeah and to me this performance even though it's pretty reined in for beyonce represents the next level of of national anthem popification from whitney because in some ways she's while she hews to the basic Whitney model of the national anthem, she adds in even more reharmonizations and she adds even more vocal ornamentation and really basically puts even more R and B and soul into the national anthem than Whitney did. So we start off simple, but we yeah. hear right away those drums, those military drums, just like the Whitney Houston version. And then here we have that reharmonization, new chords introduced, and of course we have the 4-4 four, four time. But what's so great about Beyonce's rendition is that she takes the Whitney Houston and then changes back to the original meter in 3-4 time. Two, three. It gives me chills yeah. every single time I hear it. And on top of that, she's adding in all these vocal 
ad libs. Right. Many listeners heard this and said, that is a beautiful rendition of a very traditional song. Yeah. And what you're not hearing is the actual very recent history of the performance that only just a little over a decade ago that that 4-4 time, the militaristic style. Yes. All of that has been recently introduced. Yeah. These incredibly inventive reharmonizations of the original chords. Exactly. This is this is new. And yeah. and so our pop stars, here they are asserting their artistry right into our national song. Yeah. Yes. And that's right. So who says pop music doesn't define America? <laughs> I mean, it literally it literally does. They're literally defining America through the national anthem. And what we also see is that we need to pay attention to our national anthem. Yes. Tune in next Sunday and see what Adina Menzel does to the national anthem, because we might be uh, there might be a new moment dawning, a new anthem style. There are little secrets hidden about our national mood. And who knows, maybe we'll even see just a little bit of controversy. And I, I think we should use the words from the artists who probably had the most controversial and famous version of the national anthem yes here's jimmy hendrix speaking about his famous distorted version on the dick cavett show what was the controversy about the national anthem and the way you i don't know it? all i did was play it i'm american so i played it i used to sing it in school they made me sing it in school so mm-hmm. it's a flashback you know, I'm over. Well, people, when you mention the national anthem and uh, talk about playing it in any unorthodox way you immediately get a guaranteed percentage of hate mail from people well, listen, who say how that's dare unorthodox anyone. that's not unorthodox it isn't northern orthodox. No, no. I thought it was beautiful. But then there you go. Thank you, Jimmy. As we've seen today, the national anthem is not a static entity, and in fact, has evolved since its beginning. And speaking of songs and sounds evolving, on our next episode, we'll be taking a field trip to the other side of the world to find this year's biggest breakthrough in dance music. Yes. So Lee Ellis who's the head of UKPR at Warp Records, predicts, and I quote, I think 2014 is going to be a great year for music from Africa breaking through into the more indie ether. So I'll be traveling to Kenya to investigate the pop music of East Africa, which could very well find itself on the charts this year. You don't want to miss it. And if you like what you heard today, you can find us on iTunes, the iTunes podcast app. Stitcher Radio, SoundCloud, and of course at www.switchedonpop.com. I'm Charlie Harding. I'm Nate Sloan. Thanks Thanks for for listening.
Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Prop G Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Why do you run? Why does anyone I always thought that runners loved running, and that's not the case. Most runners hate running, <laughs> but they choose to do it. In the new docu-series, Running Sucks, brought to you by Team Milk, Abby Ayers learns why women runners everywhere are driven to go the distance. It really is about taking my power back and proving myself wrong. Team Milk is about fueling women's performance and helping them along their marathon journeys. You can sign up now for the inaugural Every Woman's Marathon taking place in Savannah, Georgia on November 16th, 2024. Learn more and register at everywomansmarathon.com.